Turn, if you would, to Romans 8. Romans chapter 8. Now, we've been ascending the mountain of Romans 8 for the past couple of weeks, and we're going to keep on hiking up Everest. And the, the higher you get, the more glory you see when it comes to Romans chapter 8. So as we're kind of ascending, we started out just powerhouse, no condemnation in Christ, and we're keeping moving up the mountain, seeing the many facets of the assurance that the gospel brings to the Christian. And so that's what we're going to be doing as we dive in today, and we're going to get help from the Apostle Paul in one of the most glorious chapters of the Bible. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your faithfulness and for your grace towards us, Lord, that you loved us so much that you sent your son into the world to save sinners, that you loved us so much, Lord, that you granted the spirit to come apply the gospel into the hearts of everybody who would believe and bring new life inside of them and Father, we just thank you for this great text of Scripture that you have inspired. And Father, we, we come before it like we are coming before the mountain of glory. And we just, we just want to meet with you like Moses did on the mountain. We want to taste and see that you are good. We want to behold these truths and be helped and be encouraged and be strengthened. So Father, would you anoint this time? Would you prepare our hearts to receive this word, and Lord, that you would, that you would minister to us where we're at, where, where we're coming in today, that you would speak to our current situation. The word of God is so relevant, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it divides between the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. So we pray, may you blow upon this word, may you empower it, may you help me to move out of the way that your spirit may carry this message and that all that is from you would just be implanted in our hearts. And that you would strengthen your bride. And that you would adorn your bride with the gospel. That you would bless your church. And Lord, that you would visit any who do not know Christ with a saving word today. And we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So growing up, I had a great uncle, great uncle Louie, and he was probably one of the funnest relatives that I can remember in my youth growing up. He was a New Yorker, so he had this like thick old school godfather sort of New York accent. And he was, you know, he was the kind of guy who he laid brick into his 70s. So he was just always doing something. He could fix anything you could think of. And he would go outside and, and play basketball, you know, on our driveway and be throwing like hook shots, you know, at 75 and stuff like that. So, but he always had these sayings. So I just, I loved like listening to him talk. Uh, number one, you got the Godfather accent. And then number two, he just had these like witty sayings. But he used to, you know, just call me over and say, Peter, Peter, I got to tell you something. You know, he would do one of those things. And, and he's like, listen, there's, there's two kinds, Peter. There's the Italians and the ones who wish they were. And, and 
and so, and, and you're just like left with one of those deals and, and he's just cracked me up. But today in Romans, Paul is going to make a similar argument, except it's going to be true. He's going to say there's two kinds of people in the world. There's those who are in the flesh and those who are in the spirit. So in Romans chapter 8, he's depicting what it looks like to be a Christian and what we've been delivered out of. And so the, the title of this message is Mindset Matters, because there's only two mindsets in life. You're either going to be operating on the software of the flesh, which is our fallen, corrupt human nature, opposed to God, or we're going to be operating out of the Holy Spirit, which is the gift of God given to believers as they believe the gospel and they're brought into the family of God. And so you're going to see that as we walk through Romans, there's going to be these two kinds of people, these two mindsets that they live by, and then there's going to be some real consequences, grave consequences for each of these mindsets as they play out. So eternity is at stake. Life and death. Heaven and hell. Under condemnation, no condemnation. Life in the flesh, dominated by the flesh, and life in the spirit. And so as we enter in, I want us to kind of get a little context. So we're going to read Romans chapter 8. And we'll start with the very first verse and read through verse 9. And remember our argument. He starts off saying, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And this is the basis of this freedom. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Did you see that? Not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. And to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of God does not belong to Christ. Or anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. You see that? That stark contrast. So we're going we're gonna to walk into some of these contrasts and see what it means.
to be operating in the, the flesh and in the spirit. And we're going to see how that leads to real consequences in our lives. And then we're going to see unfolded before us the desperate need we have for God's spirit to bring liberation into our hearts. Christianity is a supernatural religion. It's a supernatural reality that has to happen to us because there's no hope for us without it. Because we're so far gone and we're so far controlled by this way of living that is called the way of the flesh. Look at it with me as we see these contrasting mindsets of flesh and the spirit. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. There's two ways that are diametrically opposed to one another, and it's kind of like, you know, a default setting for us to be in the flesh. We're born into Adam, and we're born into his we're, we're, we're born into the, the realm that would be under Adam instead of under Christ. And so if we're in Adam or in the flesh, that means that we have been corrupted by sin and sin has corrupted us top to bottom. We are infected with it all the way down. So this idea of flesh is not just like our, our meat or our body or you know that sort of thing. It is the idea of everything inside of us that's bent away from God, this principle that governs this heart condition that leads us away from God and that is contrary to everything God wills and designs. And it's like a, a mindset. It's like a way of operating in our life or an outlook. But it's hard for us to, to get the, the with English how strong this kind of thing is, but we think about it all the time when we say, if you put your mind to something, you can do anything, right? If you mind something, if you think on it, you dwell upon it, you're gripped by it, you have a passion for it, well then, you follow through and it comes out in your actions. Well, this is kind of the idea, except it's this, it might be best said to be a heart set, if I could use that, that verbiage. It's a setting of the heart. It's a disposition of the soul that's contrary to God. That's what it means to be in the flesh. Now, we, we all have you know, our favorite radio stations, whether it's the oldies or classic rock or K-Love. And some of us have like pre-settings, right? We have like five or six of those pre-set. And if you have a setting on one of those stations, you click on the station and all that plays is oldies, you know, Buddy Holly and Elvis and all that stuff, right? So you, that's just all you get. You can't get Led Zeppelin from the oldies stand, station, right? You can't get K-Love and, and Mercy Me and stuff like that from the oldies station. Or if you're playing classical music, you're, you're only going to get Beethoven, Bach, Vivaldi and stuff like that. Well, we're operating by nature when we're born into this world according to the flesh. And, and by nature, we just live opposed to God's ways. And 
And listen, if you think about it and you look around at our world, you can see it. When you look around at our world, do you see a picture of something that promotes the ways of God or that is contrary and even hostile, verse 7 says? Devoid of the Spirit of God, devoid of the Word of God, but hostile to God, verse 7. Right? It, it, it wants to shake off God's morality. It wants to shake off these things. So now, right, we have a whole month that celebrates something that is radically contrary to God's design and God's created order. And there's a sense in which there's hostility. And unless you bend and are molded and are brought under that way of thinking, there's hostility. But God's way is the way of the Spirit. God's way is the way of love, peace, life, joy, self-control. God-ordained design for man and woman, boys and girls, marriages, human sexuality. The whole way of thinking that is clear in the Scriptures, we have a month now in American culture to revolt against that. So you see it. It's like a default setting. It's, 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 it's the way and it's the air that everybody breathes. It's the atmosphere of the flesh. And the Bible says that those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. So that's why those things keep coming up again and again and again. Why, is, why does the news channels always have the same stuff on it again and again and again? Why are there certain things that are characteristic of media platforms and political pundits and the things that we see in our culture? Well, it's being funneled from a mindset into your heart. Because the mindset of the world and the flesh wants to get in your heart and create a heart set that is opposed to God. And by nature, Paul is saying we all are born into that. We all struggle with that. We all born and, and, and the only way out is to be born again out of it when the Spirit comes in. And verse 2 says, for the, the law of the Spirit of life has to set you free from the law of sin and death, which is what the flesh produces. Sin and death and destruction. So famous preacher Charles Spurgeon, the prince of pre preachers, put it like this, because he was getting at this idea. And he says, people may wash this old nature, this way of the flesh. They may clothe it. They may decorate it. They may educate it. But no evolution can produce grace out of nature. The child of that nature may be finely dressed, but he is dead. And however godly he, he's attired, there's a vital, eternal difference between the way of the flesh and the way of the Spirit. Or another writer says, to put the mind on the flesh is to have the things of the flesh as the absorbing objects of your thought, of your interests, of your affections, and your purpose. It's a consuming passion. And you see it 
every time you turn on the TV. You see it in the ways that frame the way people think in the world. It's a way contrary to God and a living after this sort of... It's like having the preset button on oldies all the time. You're not going to get much but oldies if you keep it on oldies, right? You, you need the spirit of life. You need to set that station on the spirit of life and put your mind on the things of the Spirit. So, I don't want us to, to make a mistake around thinking, well, this is all about, you know, the LBGTQ agenda, and it's all about the gender revolution, and it's all about uh, just that gross immorality out there. Of course that's against God's ways. Of course that's something that we ought to be like, yes, we're on the side of the Spirit on that one. But this idea of the flesh is more broad than that. It's not just gross immorality. It's subtle godlessness. It's a religious rebellion against God. Every single religion in the world, ultimately the traditions of men, have a way of godlessness to it. Because if it's not Jesus, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except by me. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. So there's a way of the flesh that's a way of religion. In fact, all religions, except the one that came from heaven to earth, as we, 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 were, we were singing, right? He came from heaven. God incarnate came, lived among us, lived a perfect life, who totally was without sin, and all the corruption that Adam brought into the world, Jesus, as the second Adam, as the King of Kings, undoes on the cross for anyone who will trust in Him. And He rises up out of the grave to give life instead of death. And then ascends to the Father, sends His Spirit to bring life into the hearts of those who hear the Gospel and believe it. That's the only religion that will rescue. That's the only religion that will rescue and reconcile men to God. And Jesus was all after this. He, he, he was about warning men, do not go after just mere external compliance to rules and systems and traditions. There's a sort of cultural Christianity or a cultural Judaism when he was talking to the Pharisees that he would rebuke. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching the, as doctrines the commandments of men. So he's saying, listen, you're after the fig leaves of your religion to try to cover up your flesh to try to cover up your way of living that's really contrary to God. And the Pharisees were experts at trying to look spiritual, but having hearts devoid of God, no life in them. They were whitewashed tombs, Jesus said, and they looked good on the outside, but inside there was nothing but dead men's bones. That's a picture of what it means to live according to the flesh. You can do it religiously. 
and have all the appearance of Christianity, but your mindset's wrong, your heart set's wrong, your outlook's wrong. The mark of Christianity is not inside of you because there's no spirit in you. And if we don't have the Holy Spirit, verse 9 says, we don't have Christ. We are not in Christ. So everything revolves around whether we've been visited by God's Spirit and made totally new as we believe the gospel. So one might ask the question, do we have the Holy Spirit? Do we have new life? Has, has the breath of God come into you? That's what Paul's after. That's where Paul is saying, there's the encouragement. The Spirit of God is mentioned 20 times in this chapter to remind us that Christianity is a religion of the Spirit. The Spirit of God. It's a religion that brings life. It's religion in the purest sense of that word. Paul would remind us in Romans 5.12 just what it means to be brought out of this condemnation. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, that's where flesh came from, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. That's how we were corrupted. Romans 5.19 says, For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. You want to know what happens when Jesus comes onto the scene? He does what Adam failed to do. He does what you can never do with any amount of good works. We could pile good work upon good work upon good work, but we will not fix our hearts because something went wrong in our hearts. Something went wrong in the garden that infected us, and now we live the way we live. That's why the world looks the way it does. And Jesus came as the righteous one, as the one who could put right what went wrong in the garden. And my friends, if we don't have God doing something. Verse 3 in, in, in Romans 8 says, but God has done something by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh. If God doesn't do that, there is no rescue from the realm of the flesh. So what station do you have your life set on? What station is playing in your soul? Is it the flesh or the spirit? Because look, in, look into the beauty and the glory of what happens when the station gets flipped by God's grace into the realm of the spirit. It's like you're delivered out of a total dominion and way of living into a new way of thinking. You have eyes that can see. Verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Which is to say, it's like you've come out from under the wet blanket of sin and immorality and fleshly living, and now the waters of God are flowing into your life, energizing your soul, helping you think a new way. Now, Christians, we've already established the past couple of weeks, struggle with sin. 
but that dominating, enslaving nature has been broken in the life of the Christian, so now victory is possible. And the only way the Christian will get dominated by sin is if he willingly subjects himself to that slavery. It's like the, the, the Israelites complaining about being delivered in the Exodus by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm from God through the Red Sea, and they're getting manna from heaven, and then they're complaining. Oh, it was better with the, the, the onions and, 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 and the meat that we had back in Egypt, and they want to go back. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. The glory of what's happened to you is you have been rescued supernaturally and you have a new way of seeing, a new power to live, and you have the grace of God manifest in your life to produce a walking according to the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says, But as I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. How are you going to fight the flesh? By the power of the Spirit. How are you going to put off the old man and put on the new man? By the power of the Spirit. By the preaching of the Gospel. By the, the feeding upon the Spirit-inspired words of God and replacing the lies of the world and the devil and the, 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 the discouraging thoughts that sometimes we utter to ourselves when we get set on that default setting, we play that station and all of a sudden, garbage is coming out to ourselves. And we need to remember that we are a people, if we're Christians, we're a people who have been set upon the Spirit. And the only way to fight flesh is with Spirit. Listen to it in Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit. See, we talked about the root is justification by faith in Christ. But the fruit of the Spirit, that is love. What does it look like when love flows out of your life? Peace. What does it look like when you know you're right with God? When you know you have peace with Him? How does your soul operate when you realize there's no more need to try to to justify yourself before God because you never could but you're resting in the, the 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 sweetness that Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe and when sin leaves a crimson stain he washes it white as snow that's how you live the Christian life in peace even though you're beset by many struggles and difficulties. How many moms in here feel like they're falling short? How many dads in here feel like they're falling short? How many grandparents feel like they're falling short? How many kids feel like, I'm not quite getting it right. I keep getting corrected all the time. I keep doing the things that my parents are telling me not to. Well, the life of the Spirit is given to the Christian to empower and to encourage and to produce a sense of knowing you're right with God as the Spirit bears witness with your spirit, you're a child of God. You begin to want to live for God 
If you don't think you're God's, if you don't think you're rescued, if you don't think you're redeemed, if you don't think you've been declared righteous, then you're going to keep living according to the flesh. There's no greater encouragement in the Christian life than to know you're right with God. And He gives us the Holy Spirit to tell us, yes, that's my deposit. That's my deposit so you can take that to the bank because when I put my Spirit in you, I rescue you and I empower you to live for me and to live a different way. So the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions. What a prayer list. Go home and just drink deeply from Galatians 5 and pray those things into your life. Pray and ask God, bring the peace and the joy and the gentleness and the kindness. And where maybe there's backbiting, you're a peacemaker. And maybe where there's fear and anxiety, you're casting your burdens upon the Lord and He brings peace. And maybe where there's anger, and bitterness residing in your hearts. You pray, oh God, give me, give me a love and compassion. Help me to forgive others as God in Christ has forgiven me. That's a work of the Spirit in our lives. Verse 6 reminds us that the way we live and the mindset we're operating under has real consequences in our life. Look at it with me for a second here. For to set the mind on the flesh is what? It's death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So our mindset, if you think about it, has everlasting consequences. So I I want us to, to, to really think through We don't want to live for the next 10 minutes or the next 10 years. We want to live for the next 10 billion years. And ultimately, this mindset that God begats in a heart that is redeemed by the grace of Jesus and by the Spirit of God making you alive when you were once dead, this mindset yields eternal life. Life and peace, that's what verse 6 says. But the mindset of the flesh produces death. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see it right there? Death and separation, and death in, in, in that text is talking about the separation we have from God because we sin. Sin separates us from God. It alienates us. It estranges us. It, 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 it brings condemnation. It brings total separation. And if we die like that, the Bible says, it's eternal death. It is everlasting separation from God. And that's where the flesh is headed. It's appointed for man to die once and after that the judgment. Or the Proverbs remind us, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, the way is death. Proverbs 16.25 But the way of life leads to peace 
and life in Christ. Notice it here in verse, verse 6. When you, the contrast is to set the mind on the Spirit brings life and peace. Now, life, when it is in the context of salvation, does not just mean physical life. It means being brought into a relationship of God, with God where you have everlasting relationship with Him and life in Him. In the garden, they were going to live forever until they sinned and death came in. Because they were walking with God. They had fellowship with God. They were, they were in sweet communion with God. They were enjoying Him and glorifying Him. And the life of the Spirit or eternal life is to know God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And to enter into the joy of that relationship. So if we don't think of salvation as relational, we are missing it. You're, you, you get saved and you're brought into a family. And the family is called the church. And the head of the church is Christ. And the head of Christ is the Father. And the, the Spirit is the one who indwells every single person in the church. As kind of a down payment that God's salvation has broke in. And peace is the fruit that comes out of that. Peace with God. You're no longer fighting against God. You're no longer hostile to God. You are at peace with Him. The war is over when God gets a hold of your heart. We were at war and the war is over. I can remember when I was 16 growing up. And there was, uh, and I wasn't a Christian at the time, I was walking by the neighborhood drug dealer's house, and he was just known for vile living, and, and he was a drug dealer, and he went and did all the stuff drug dealers do. And it, all the kids in the neighborhood kind of were intrigued by him, and in some ways were fascinated. So I went by, and I, I, I went by his house, and I remember actually, you know, trying to talk to him with a friend of mine. And I was like, hey, what's up, Anthony? And, and, and all of a sudden, like, you know, profanity's coming out of my mouth because I want to sound cool. And he's like, you know, looking at me with this strange look. And then I greet him again with the same, you know, kind of stuff coming out of my mouth. And he's like, whoa, dude, you're, you're hurting my ears, man. And I was like, what? <laughs> he's like, no, 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 you're, you're hurting my ears. Please do not curse. And I'm like, get out of here. What are you talking about? He's like, no, no, I, I'm a Christian now. And I just don't want you to talk that way. And he starts talking to me about Jesus. And, I, and I, I'm like, wait a second. Are we in the twilight zone? Am I in a different world right now? Who are you? And where's Anthony? You know? And he starts evangelizing me and telling me about how God changed his whole mindset. That he doesn't like the things he used to do. He's living differently. And he starts talking to me about Jesus. And I'm like inching away from him like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to go, man. I'll talk to you later. I wasn't expecting that. I thought I was going to hear some story or something like that. And so he invites me to church. And of course, I'm like, yeah, right. I, I'll talk to you later, Anthony. And so I walk off and me and my friend go to a pizza parlor and, you know, we're having pizza. And we're like, what was up with that? You know, that was strange. I don't know what's going on with Anthony. And we're walking home that night and, uh, you know, a few hours later and we come home 
Um, and halfway to the house, this little VW bus comes up and picks us up and says, hey, you know, and it's Anthony. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? He's like stalking us or something. So he picks us up and it's like from the time we get in the car to the time we get home, he's sharing Jesus with us. And he's talking about this new mindset. He's talking about the consequences of living a life in rebellion against God. He's talking about this worldview that you're living is actually leading you to destruction. And I'm starting to get a little scared because this brother's just filled with the spirit. I'm like, this is kind of making sense to me. And he's answering all my questions and, and he starts sharing the gospel with me. And he said, listen, you don't have to live enslaved to your sin. You don't have to live according to these ways. You can be set free. And so I was shook to the core because I had the neighborhood drug dealer talking to me about Jesus. And I didn't get saved that day, but maybe five years later, I never forgot what God did when he showed me just what it means to live according to the Spirit, a new way, and the kind of radical change it produces and the kind of consequences that get bore out in the life of somebody you never thought could have changed. That's what happens. That's what Ephesians 2 describes when he, he talks about us being dead in our sins. He says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And you're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. You've got to be made alive. And that's what happened to Anthony. He was dead and he was made alive. And everybody knew it because he was so different. You never know what the new life God produces in you is going to do in the world out there because people are, they've got the radio station set on oldies. But when you come blasting Caleb in the spirit, right? When you come blasting a new mindset, when you come showing King Jesus, when you come in unfolding the King of glory before them in all of His goodness, and you say, God loves you so much that He sent His Son into the world with a radiant life. He lived perfectly and He died a sacrificial death on the cross to set you free. And when you look to Him, your life is transformed. When you look to Him, you come out of that mindset that is of the flesh, that leads to the works of the flesh, that leads to death. And you get life. And you get peace. And you come to know God, which you were truly meant to have. And you know, I never really realized how bad off I was in the world until I read Romans 8. In verse 7, look, look at this. This is what we were like. If you're a Christian now, this is what you were like. If you're not a Christian, this is what you are like. For the mind, verse 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is what? It's hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's an ugly description of the human heart bent in sin. It's hostile. It's, it's, it's not, you know, it's declared war against God. It's shaking its fist, saying, 
I'm the captain of my ship. I'm the master of my fate. I remember sharing the gospel with somebody and they, they, when it got to the point where we said, you know, this is, I laid out the gospel. This is what the Bible said. All are sinners, guilty before God. All are condemned in their sins before God. That's bad news. But if you repent of your sins and you believe that Jesus is Lord and that He died on the cross and rose from the grave, you can be forgiven. And as you trust in Jesus, you can be made a new person. And He said to me, I'm the captain of my own ship. And I'm the master of my own fate. That's the heart set against God in rebellion. And that hostility comes out in the DNA of the flesh. It's hardwired into it. And ultimately, we see this hostility takes form in a denial of God's word and a denial of God's laws. It can't submit to God's law, verse 7. It can't submit. It can't put itself under the authority of God. It wants to shake off all authority. And is that not what we see in the world? There's a shaking off of any authority, any God-given authority. Whether it's the family authorities, whether it's governmental authorities, there's a shaking off. We don't want it. We're not going to have it. And ultimately, the most primary base reality of our sin is that we rebel against God's authority. There's something in us that wants to go a different way. And until God acts decisively in your life to save you, you're stuck in the mindset of the flesh under its control blinded by satan the bible says he's got control and sway in this world and he's blinded the minds of unbelievers from seeing the gospel and loving the gospel in fact romans chapter 1 reminds us that god has revealed himself in nature and he's revealed himself in the human conscience and deep down we all know, but it's like we've got to suppress that truth, stuff it down because we don't want to look at it. And brothers and sisters, belief in God or, or the lack thereof, atheism is not an intellectual problem, it's a moral one. The Bible says we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie and we've worshipped and served the creature instead of the Creator who's blessed forever. Amen. We've exalted man. And that's what humanism is all about. Man's on the throne instead of to God be the glory, great things He has done. That's what the flesh looks like. And until God breaks in with His Spirit and opens our eyes, we will never please God. But I'm so thankful Romans 8 is about what it looks like when you do. <laughs> when you do see what it means to be given grace and have the Spirit setting you free. Verse 9, listen to this. You, however, you Christian, however, are not in the flesh. You're not in that way of thinking, but you're in the Spirit if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, the Spirit of God dwells in believers. 
And anyone who does not have the Spirit does not belong to Him. You belong to God if you have the Spirit of God. You're a part of His family. You've been ushered out of Adam's family into the family of God. And there's no way out of Adam's family unless God breaks into your life. And as you behold the Gospel of Jesus Christ, you're liberated when the Spirit sets you free. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. So maybe you're struggling today with assurance of salvation. How do I know I'm a Christian? Well, the Spirit, verse 16 of Romans 18, is going to say, the Spirit bears witness with your spirit. You're a child of God. If you're indwelt by the Spirit, well, then you're a Christian. And that Spirit bears witness that you're a child of God. And you know how you know you have the Spirit? Because you love the Gospel. Because you love Jesus. Because you love God. You're not, you're not putting on cosmetics. You're not trying to do a little bit of religion to kind of check the box culturally. You've got new life inside you. New affections for God. And you've got new desires to live for Him. And there's a whole new outlook on life. And it goes beyond externals to the deep core of who you are. You've got life coming into you and empowering you. The life of God in the soul of man. That's power. And it comes in when we behold Jesus for who He is and we run to Him as a Savior. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. And when you hear by the Word of Christ and you believe, the Spirit comes in. A couple weeks back, I talked about Jacob to Shazer and the story of a bombardier in World War II who was a POW in a Japanese prison camp and was born again through reading the Bible in his years of abuse and imprisonment at one point, he gets a Bible and begins to read it and gets saved, and he becomes a missionary to Japan. And I mentioned a pilot from, uh, who was a leader in the Japanese Navy who would be one of the people who would lead the bombing raid of Pearl Harbor, and his name was Mitsuo Fuchida. And he was the pilot who led the attack on Pearl Harbor, 360 planes bombing Pearl Harbor in World War II. And it was led by this man. And he said after the attack, he would write, my heart was so filled with joy at my success. It was the most thrilling exploit of my career. Mitsuo Fuchida would actually be so captivated by Hitler and his regime that he would shave his mustache to be just like Hitler. And he would be a great uh, pilot, and he would ascend to the highest rank in the Japanese Navy for a pilot that you could have. He logged 10,000 hours and led many bombing raids, and he had no love for America or for Christianity. He was a hater of God. He was of the mindset of the flesh. He was given to drink. 
and he was given to false religion and he only cared about the power and honor he could get as a Japanese warrior. But after the Battle of Midway, he became disillusioned because he actually was hoping that Japan would win, and when they didn't, he was crushed. And when they lost the war, he was crushed even further. And there were many accounts of him getting hurt, and he was on one of the aircraft carriers during the Battle of Midway that was bombed as the uh, U.S. got wind of these where locations of where the aircraft carriers were, they dropped bombs. And he was on that flight deck, waving at his pilots, launching off as the bombs came. And he was, he was literally launched 10 feet in the air, broke both of his legs, burned horribly in a fire, and was dragged off the flight deck into a lifeboat. And so he retired, became a farmer, and started becoming given to more drink and alcohol. But as the war ended and as he continued to see POWs, Japanese POWs coming back, he started just being intrigued at their story. Why are these POWs coming back and they're saying that they were treated so well? And he heard one account of a daughter of a missionary family who had, the family had been killed by the Japanese uh, army, and this daughter ended up giving her life to serve the Japanese POWs, and she said, my parents would have wanted me to forgive these men because they knew Jesus, and because they loved Jesus, and because they were going to forgive the way Christ forgives. And so he was struck by that, and then a few months later, he would be given a tract that Jacob DeShazer had written about his account of getting saved in a Japanese prison camp. And he would read this account and be struck to the core of how the Bible could actually change somebody because he knew that human nature was so corrupt and so vile. That's what was happening in World War II. That's why he had a lust for power. That's why he had a lust for violence. That's why he had a lust to dominate because he had the flesh controlling him, and he could not break his nature. And then he heard about somebody who did. He heard about a man who had been liberated by the gospel as he read the gospel of Luke. And if you remember, he read the words of Christ's prayer, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And it dawned on him that there was a source of love displayed in the woman her name was Peggy Kovo, who helped PO, Japanese POWs and nursed them to health. And then Jacob DeShazer. Both had the same story. They loved because Christ loved them. And listen to how Fuchida recalls his account of actually reading the gospel. And he says, for the first time, as an unbelieving Japanese hateful man who was dominated by the flesh, I was impressed that I was one for whom Christ had prayed those words that many men I had killed had been slaughtered in the name of patriotism, but I did not understand the love that Christ wishes to implant within every heart. 
right at that moment I read that prayer, I seemed to meet Jesus for the first time. I understood the meaning of his death as a substitute for my wickedness. And so in prayer, I requested him to forgive my sins and change me from a bitter, disillusioned ex-pilot into a well-balanced Christian with purpose for living. And that date, 14th of April, 1950, is the day I became a new person. My complete view of life was changed by the intervention of Christ. Behold, the mindset of the flesh overcome by the mind of the Spirit, bringing new life and setting Matsuo Fuchida free. And he would go around the world as the one who bombed Pearl Harbor, but had been given over to Christ. The man who became a Christian. The man who was a great enemy of America. And he would end up going to America preaching the Gospel. Going to Pearl Harbor preaching the Gospel. Going to churches preaching the Gospel. And wherever he preached, souls were won to Jesus. Because when you come before the Spirit of life, you get set free. And when you behold Jesus, He can take you out of the realm of the flesh into the realm of the Spirit because He's the Prince of Life. He can change a man totally set on death and give him life. Oh, that we might taste and see that the Lord is good. Maybe you need that word today, that you need to be encouraged that you can experience life in Christ. And maybe you need to be encouraged as a Christian that this is the power available to you in the Spirit. And it's a whole new way of living. And Paul would say, if you have the Holy Spirit, you have Christ. And you will forever experience glory and peace and life in Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this great word of Romans 8. Lord, we keep ascending the mountain. We keep learning what it means. There's no condemnation in Christ. We've been set free by the Spirit of life. And I pray, God, that You would help us to be free indeed. Free like Mitsuo Fuchida. Free from the slavery of sin and the bondage of sin and death and walking in the Spirit of life. And so we thank You and we pray that your spirit would be upon us now and encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen.